You're listening to the Warrior Priest Podcast. And this is the Warrior Priest Podcast. Midweek debrief number 44. And I am the Warrior Priest, Donovan Riley. Where do you get your strength from? And when you become aware of a weakness, mental, physical, emotional, maybe even spiritual, what do you do about it? I was thinking about this this morning after answering a question in a Facebook Live devotion that I lead on Wednesday mornings at 8.30. This whole question of strength. We live in the West in particular in such an atomized society. We are fragmented. Consumer capitalism has emphasized individuality, individualism, often to the expense and I think the detriment of groups, communities, even families. You think about Thanksgiving and Christmas, in the past at least, a lot of families I know go shopping or go to the movies on Thanksgiving and Christmas. They don't sit around and catch up with each other or just talk to enjoy one another's company. There's not a sense of nostalgia around the holidays for many people. In fact, many families I know, folks that I talk with, are profoundly uncomfortable being around their families and in particular talking about anything of substance with their families. And as a consequence, the way that they have worked around this, a life hack, is to find activities to do together that do not require them to communicate interpersonally with each other, such as go to the movies. And even then, if they go shopping at the mall or something, they're not really talking about anything substantive with each other. They're talking about, what should I get so-and-so for Christmas? Or do you like this dress? Where do you want to eat lunch at? Small talk is usually what it's referred to. But... What happened that we can't even confront the weaknesses within our own family structure, the dynamics within our families in that context, that we all know, we're all aware that we don't talk about anything of substance when we get together for the holidays. When we talk on the phone or text or email each other, it's usually brief question and answer sessions, nothing again of any substance do families even lean on each other anymore and depend on each other to bail each other out? Or do they look elsewhere? At the core of the family dynamic in the United States, at least, there's a fundamental fracture, an atomization, like I said, where you call yourselves a family, you all share the last name, you all share a common bloodline, but outside of that, what is it that binds you to family other than just tradition? I have family all over the world at this point. None of them are my biological parents or brother. And yet I have family in Mexico. I have family in Tanzania. I have family across the United States. They refer to me as their son. And I call them mom and dad or sister and brother. My teammates are my sisters and my brothers. I share 
an intimate exchange with them when we spar. And that intimacy, that physical intimacy that comes through conflict and going through that together and that common struggle binds us together in a way that unless you are engaged in that struggle, engaged in that conflict and that violence together, you can't possibly comprehend what it is that draws us to each other and binds us so closely to each other that we refer to each other as brother and sister. And that's not a throwaway term. It's a, it's a signifier of affection and deep love, platonic love, filial love, even unconditional love. That's why when gyms shut down, so many people revolted immediately and said, no, keep the gym open. If you get fined, if you live in California or Minnesota or Pennsylvania or wherever, if you get fined, coach, we'll pay the fines for you. Don't worry about it. We need this to stay open. We need you to be here for us. This is our sobriety meeting. This is our therapy session. This is the only place that I have where I can enjoy fellowship. This is the only place that I can go, that I can interact with other people and be myself. There is so much to family that doesn't involve DNA, at least not through blood. And I think the reason then that people are so desperate to find a group to belong to whether it's a martial arts academy or a hiking club, going out and geocaching, whether it's mountaineering, whether it's a hunting party, whether it's a biking team, whether it's just meeting to have coffee with a group of men or women and talk about what you are chewing on as far as your fears and anxieties, your hopes, your aspirations, what motivates you, what inspires you. We all have a deep, deep-seated need to connect with other human beings and be connected to other human beings. One of the reasons that I started podcasting in the first place was my feelings of disconnection from my community, my church, not having friends that I could depend on through thick and thin. And I think for myself, then, that's what this forum has provided for me is an opportunity to talk to you who I don't know. I've never met for the most part. And yet I know you're out there listening. And so as I sit here and stare at the microphone and the computer and the monitor and everything, and I try and organize my thoughts into something coherent and cogent at the root of all of this, strip everything away, the microphone, the computer and everything, strip it all away. And what I'm looking for is connection because that's what God made us for. We are made to be in relation to each other. We are created to be in community, to commune with each other. And we are lesser than as human beings when we are not connected to other human beings in a way that is intimate, that is built upon shared experiences and struggles, built on conflict, and solving conflicts together, problem-solving together. And then when it comes to the matter of friends, because we're so fragmented within the family units, 
for the most part, broadly speaking. We then don't really have strong connections with friends, or at least the people we call friends. In fact, I think most of the people that we refer to as our friends are really just acquaintances. They are friends of convenience. They are friends because we share a common interest. But by friend, I mean someone who, if I need someone to bury a body out in the desert in the middle of the night, I can call you, and no questions asked, you'll show up with a shovel and a bag. (laughs) And all I mean by that, all joking aside, is I need to know that when shit goes down, you'll have my back. No matter how bad it gets, you'll have my back. I was just talking to the kids the other night on the way home from jujitsu about this. Unconditional love doesn't ask, was he right or was he wrong? We deal with that later. Unconditional love says, you don't mess with my brothers and my sisters. We're family. You mess with one of us. You mess with all of us. So I use the example of my friend Robbie Scans. He was a classmate of mine. He had two older sisters. I think it was Sherry and Connie. And Sherry was a couple years older than us. She was probably 5'3", maybe 105 pounds. And if Robbie got picked on, if he got bullied in the hallways by one of the upperclassmen, shoved into a locker, punched, his sister would come, find the person that did that, and beat the living hell out of them right there in the hallway, in the school in front of everybody. Because this is back in the 80s when you could still do stuff like that. And everybody knew, you don't mess with Robbie Scans. Because if you mess with Robbie, you're going to mess with Sherry. And God help you if Sherry comes after you. My aunt, Colleen, was the same way. Five foot, two inches tall, 96 pounds in high school. Carried a knife. She got in fights with guys twice her size to defend herself, to defend her friends. And if necessary, she'd cut you. Because that's how she survived in the broken family that she grew up in, where she was pretty much on her own to raise herself. So when I was... 14 or 15, and I finally was taller than my aunt. And side note, my aunt Colleen is 11 years older than I am, and my brother is actually 11 years younger than I am. So my relationship to my aunt Colleen when I was growing up was similar to that of me with my little brother who's 11 years younger than I am. And so I've always had a special connection with her then because of our age differences and closeness. But I asked her, I said, you know, I'm bigger than you are. I'm stronger than I can pick you up off the ground and spin you around and play with you. And yet every time we fight or wrestle, you beat me up. What's up with that? And she taught me an important lesson that I think I've talked about on the show before. She said, you don't have to be the strongest person. You don't have to be the biggest or the fastest. When it comes to fighting, you just have to be the meanest. And that was a very important lesson that she taught me that I've carried with me now for 30 plus years, or a little over 30 years, 30 plus years, I guess. It's not about how strong you are, how athletic, how well-trained you are even. It's the question of, are you mean enough to keep coming even when everything is against you? Are you mean enough to not quit? Are you mean enough to say, you're going to have to kill me to stop me? Because even if you knock me out, When I gain consciousness, I'm coming. I'm coming back for you. That's, for me, that's a friend. A friend is that kind of loving, protective, 
defend you at all costs, and then after the fact pull you aside and say, hey, just so you know, that was bullshit. What you did, what you said back there, that was bullshit. I've always got your back, but don't think that I'm going to give you a pass. In fact, because I love you, I'm not giving you a pass on this one. That's family. That's friendship. Family sticks up for each other no matter what, shows up for each other no matter what, and then after the fact pulls a person aside, an individual aside and says, hey, let's talk about that now, okay? You weren't entirely in the right, so let's discuss that. But in the moment when it's happening, when it's going down, family shows up, friends show up for each other when things are going down, and then after the fact, they kick your ass. We don't have a lot of that, and I think socially, that's what we're all hungry for and desperate for, is someone or a group of people that will hold us accountable and kick our ass when we need it. Someone who can criticize us and critique us, but do it in such a way that we know because they love us and they've proven they're trustworthy, we take it. Because we know they're not trying to hurt us on purpose. They're trying to keep us on the straight and narrow. They're trying to keep us in line. They want what's best for us. And sometimes what's best for us is getting our ass kicked by people that we trust who love us enough to say to us, you got to stop drinking so much. It's out of control. It's affecting your relationship. It's affecting your work. It's affecting your training schedule. You've got to speak more respectfully to your wife and your kids, especially when you're in public. That's not how you talk to people you love. That's not how you talk to your wife and kids. We need that. We need that accountability. But in our society, the attitude nowadays, the ethic nowadays is, leave me alone. Mind your own business. And I have a problem with that. Mind your own business. Well, when I am stranded at the side of the road I, and I need help, I don't want people to mind their own business. I want help. I need a good Samaritan to stop and help me out. Ask if I have a cell phone. Ask if I need help changing a tire or if there's anything they can do for me. If I see someone struggling to carry their groceries to the car, I want to be the person that says, hey, can I carry the groceries for you? Can I help you get to your car? Because that's what a good neighbor does. That's what a good citizen does. When family is struggling, I want to be able to be there for them so they can come to me and say, hey, you know what? I need you to show up for me. I need to talk to somebody about this. I need you to sit with me and give me some advice. The ethic of our society is all about the individual and all about each person minding their own business, which is why we're in the situation we're in in the first place. Social media has atomized and siloed us. The mainstream media has atomized and siloed us on purpose through a campaign of propaganda that's been going on for decades. Our local, state, and federal government officials profit from our being atomized and fragmented, from our families disintegrating, from our social relationships disintegrating, from our sense of caring for the other disintegrating. Because then we look to the government. We look to others to take care of us, to solve our problems for us. And as a consequence... When something goes wrong, we don't look to family. What do we look to? We look to somebody else. We look to the government. We look outside ourselves. We look to others to solve our problems rather than looking to ourselves and looking to the circle that's around us that we can trust to take care of us, that we can trust have our best interests in mind. I think that lack of interpersonal connection and therefore a lack of interpersonal communication, it affects us. I think it creates 
human beings that are lesser than because we're not meant to exist in isolation from each other. And how many people do you know, and maybe you yourself suffer from this like I do, when I'm in public, I feel cut off and isolated from the people around me. I know I can't be myself around these people. I have to put on an act, so to speak. I have to wear the mask. Because if I revealed my true face to these people, they'd revile me. They'd curse me. They'd recoil from me. If I said what I was actually thinking about them, I'd get kicked out of stores. And I certainly wouldn't be (laughs) much of a pastor if I got in the pulpit on Sunday morning and told my congregation exactly what I think of them. Or worse yet, what God thinks of them, according to his words. But that mask, and I'm not saying it's always a negative, right? Honesty is good as a policy, but not all the time. Sometimes honesty can be wrathful. Sometimes honesty can cut and hurt another person to the extent that they never recover from it and it damages the relationship permanently. But yet, to be honest with others, to be honest with family, to be honest with friends, it does require a certain amount of emotional maturity and a recognition. When I talk with my wife, there's certain things she doesn't need to know. (laughs) There's certain things that I think or imagine. There's certain things in my heart that if I told her, it would be the honest to God truth, but it would hurt her. It would hurt her in a way that she would never recover from that. So honesty is the best policy, yes. But filter that. Ask yourself the question, is it necessary to reveal the whole truth? Is it necessary to be so brutally honest with people you love in the moment that it could damage them irreparably? And then when are those moments when you do need to be brutally honest with others? Calling someone to account for their alcoholism or addiction. Calling someone to account for their participation in domestic violence or child abuse. Saying to another person, man, that's criminal. Don't do that. There's a lot of people right now, I noticed on social media, running their mouth about civil war and revolution and getting all strapped, getting everything straightened away, getting all your body armor plates (laughs) and all that stuff. And I listen to people talk that way. And I immediately know This is a person that has never been shot at or had to shoot another person. I often question whether these people have even been hunting and had to shoot an animal or not, the way they talk. Because there's so much false bluster and bravado. So much raw, raw, rally the troops, cheerleading going on. That I wonder, who is it that they're surrounded by that somebody doesn't come along and say, hey man, You're LARPing, okay? Calm down. You've never served in the military. You're not law enforcement. You've never had to kill anybody. You've never been shot at by someone who wants to kill you. Calm down with the language about civil war, about revolution, about going in the streets with guns and armor. There's a danger in that. Because you surround yourself, then you silo yourself on social media with others who like that kind of talk. It makes them feel big, makes them feel strong, makes them feel important. It fulfills the romantic fantasies about war and violence. And to those people, I invite you to come to my martial arts gym. I invite you to take Muay Thai. I I invite you to come and spar with me in jiu-jitsu so that you can get a taste of real violence. 
get kicked in the head one time in a Muay Thai sparring round. Have someone sit on your face and do a mounted Kimura <laughs> and, and twist your arm in all sorts of weird shapes while they're squatting on your face. Compete in a tournament, get in a cage, get a taste for violence within a rule set where you're protected by a referee or an official. Then make your decision about how tough you think you are, how ready you are to wage the next civil war, to rip families apart permanently, to separate this nation permanently. I think the issue there, again, is there's no one to come alongside of them in real time, not on the internet, not through your DMs, that, no. I mean, in real time, someone to come alongside and say, hey, man, I read what you post on social media, and I got to tell you, you need to tone down the rhetoric, and here's why. Okay, I appreciate where you're coming from, and I support your Second Amendment right. I do. Hey, you want to dress up in body armor? Hey, that's great. You want to have your, your um, Humvee all painted up in camo, right? You want to only own camouflage cargo shorts so you can carry extra clips? Hey, man, power to you. Go for it. But be aware of the fact that when shit goes down, you're the first one who's going to die. <laughs> you're the first one who's going to be clipped. Or you're the first one who's going to get arrested and charged with a felony. This is not a joke. Our society is already tearing itself apart. It's already unraveling. And it has been for a while. Social media has just exacerbated it. Mainstream media has exacerbated it. Politicians have taken an opportunity to, do, to drive a wedge between us, to make us dependent on the government, to give them even more power and authority over us. We don't need to be threatening to kill each other. On both sides, by the way. I don't care if you're a liberal or a conservative ideologically. I don't care. At a certain point, it becomes a horseshoe shape, and the two extremes meet in the middle. I don't care. We need to build each other up, not tear each other down. We need to bring each other in and unite rather than threaten each other with violence. It is incredibly difficult in my experience to unify a group of people, especially a disparate group of people who are different and come from different places and have different beliefs and ideologies and, and backgrounds. It's terribly difficult and it's a lot of work. As a pastor, that's kind of a primary point of my job when we gather for communal worship, corporate worship. These people are here because they all believe something. They believe in the same thing, or at least similar. And yet they have their own opinions. They come from their own backgrounds. They have their own traditions. They vote different ways. And my responsibility as their pastor is to essentially establish Here's what happens in this congregation. Here's what happens in this church. We're all here for one common purpose. And outside of that, you are free to congregate, to assemble, to have friends, to go out socially. But in here, all that other stuff that separates us needs to be left outside. Because here we're united around our belief. And this belief, therefore, it, it has consequences. Not only in terms of corporate worship and prayer, but also in terms of how we love and we care for each other as a congregation. But we've seen over the years how the church has dropped the ball on that. And so people have left the church and gone elsewhere to find other social groups, other places to connect with people, other places they can feel that they can let their guard down and be honest with each other. 
I know when I first started Alcoholics Anonymous, I immediately went, went home and said to my wife, I really wish church was more like Alcoholics Anonymous. And what I meant was less judgment, less hypocrisy, more honesty, more forgiveness and grace. And so as a pastor, I've carried that message into my church with me. And to the best of my abilities, I've applied that to my congregation. That's why Alcoholics Anonymous, Narcotics Anonymous, Al-Anon, Alatine, all of these things are so popular and so um, populated with folks from all kinds of different backgrounds. Because when you come and you sit around that table, when you sit in that circle, you're there to dump all your garbage on the table and then walk away, knowing that what was said in that room stays in that room. And that there's no judgment. No one's going to crosstalk and start questioning you and pointing a finger at you, accusing you of anything. Like I've said before, I've even had guys show up still drunk at Alcoholics Anonymous meetings at 7 o'clock in the morning. They fell off the wagon the night before, and they just white-knuckled it through the night to get to 7 o'clock so they could get to a meeting. And the only thing between them and suicide is that meeting. So the last thing that we're going to do is point a finger and say, come back when you're sober. That's kind of the whole point of Alcoholics Anonymous. You admitted you have a problem. You admitted you need help. Here we are. That breeds intimacy. That gives birth to relationships that are strong and built on unconditional love. And you're interfacing with each other and you're struggling together towards a common goal, sobriety. And I still remember fondly, I still have nothing but fondness and respect for my Alcoholics Anonymous group in the city that I lived in before we moved to where we currently have been located for the past 13 years. I still think about them. I still remember their names. I still reflect on those meetings. They had a profound effect on me at the time. And that was over a 13, 14, that was 15 years ago. But it was the intimacy. It was the honesty. It was put your garbage on the table, sort through it, let everybody else sort through your garbage, see if they can pick out anything that's going to help them in their sobriety, and then we're going to leave. And we're not going to see each other again until tomorrow morning or three days from now or a week from now. And that's okay, because then when you get back together, it's like you never left because you share that intimacy, you share that relationship, and that's an airplane flying over the top of my head. So if you hear that noise, that's an airplane. I actually live about two and a half miles from a little airport, private airport. So when we think about family, when we think about friends, when we think about relationships, what's our criteria? Do we even have criteria or are we just happy that someone cares enough to say hello to us or hang out with us? And what benefit is that to us in the long run knowing I'm in this relationship with this person because I'm desperate to be in a relationship with somebody. I need to feel needed. I've said to numerous people throughout the years, if you need someone to, to feel needed, you're needy. And that comes out. And you're never going to have a good, strong relationship if you're needy. Because people will take advantage of you. People will take advantage of that. They'll exploit that. It's human nature to exploit that weakness. Plus, you surround yourself with people who prey upon needy people whether they're aware of it or not. And you create this intensely destructive, toxic relationship with another person that you're afraid to break out of because you need to be needed. And better to be needed and abused than to not be needed at all. 
That's how codependency works. And I know for years I struggled with this. I tried to find groups to belong to. I tried to conform my personality to these groups and these organizations. I tried to surround myself with people that I thought would satisfy that, that deep need for communication and contact and, and intimate relationships with others. And it always crashed and burned because I needed it. And so I was willing to overlook a lot of faults in others, a lot of terrible habits, a lot of things I disagreed with, just so that I could say, I belong to that group. I'm with them. So in a sense, the isolation that I enjoy today, for the most part, is self-chosen. I can't complain that I don't have a lot of friends. I can't complain that I'm kind of isolated from social groups and gatherings. I kind of chose to do that because, especially the last five or six years, I've been much more purposeful about who I call friend, who I call brother and sister, who I call family. There's a much more definitive category in my mind for what constitutes family and friends, which means most of my biological family, I don't consider my family. Most of the folks that I used to know that I called friends, they're not my friends, they're acquaintances. But I know they're not going to show up for me when I need them. That's why they're not here now when I do need them. And is that lonely? Yeah, it is terribly lonely. Do I often wish I had more contact with people and that I had more people I could fall back on and rely on? Yeah, absolutely. Do I have a lot of friends? Yeah, I do. But I measure them in such a way that I, I weigh how much responsibility I can put on them, what's fair to put on them as far as responsibility in this relationship, rather than holding everyone to the same standard. I think that's juvenile. So there are some people that I train with, for example, I don't even know where they live. I don't have their phone number in my phone, but they're always there for me. And I know if I called them, if I texted them, if I DM them, and I said, hey man, I need help, I need money, I need you to bail me out, they'd be there. I know that inherently. That's why I would do anything for them. And then there's other people I'm friends with. I know I can't call them. I know they're not going to be there for me. I know when I need help, they're not going to be in the top five of people that I call. And that's okay because I don't need them to be there for that. I have other people for that. But I recognize as I get older, the society that we live in and the generations long fragmenting of the society, the atomizing of individuals within the society, the emasculation of men that's been going on now for a hundred years in this society, the de-emphasis of a warrior culture and a warrior mindset, the de-emphasis on discipline and courage, the de-emphasis on standing up for yourself, defending others, protecting others, helping others, having a sense of community and community bonding. That's gone or at least it's on life support. And I think that's something that I struggle with all the time then is I want to be a community builder. I want to build uh, a congregation, for example, or a home. I want to build a gym where people can come and have that fellowship, have that sense of belonging. And I guess that pretty much explains everything I do now that I'm thinking about it. Why did I start my own gym? <laughs> so that I could help other people find that human contact and improve their lives. Why did I become a pastor? So I could, same thing, yeah. Why did I, why did we start homeschooling our kids and then offer that to others? Same thing. 
I think pretty much everything in my life at this point, now that I think about it, here we go, is me coming to the conclusion that if I'm going to find a tribe, if I'm going to find community, if I'm going to interface with others and have those intimate, deep relationships and help other people and be there for other people, I'm just going to have to do it myself. I'm going to have to create the space myself. So that's what I do. Every aspect of my life now is serving other people. My wife pointed this out to me a couple of weeks ago, and I hadn't even really thought about it. Everything I do is for other people. The podcasts are about helping other people. The writing is about helping other people. My jobs are about helping other people. And through that, I am helped. But that's kind of the world that I live in anyways. That's the space that I occupy. If I don't do it, no one else is going to. Because there's a lot of people, especially the last couple of months, since the election in particular, who have expressed the same sentiment to me when they've talked about COVID and the masks and the lockdowns and the coming vaccinations and everything. What can I do? And my answer is everything, anything. Just when you do it, do it for the sake of others. Do it because you want other people to benefit. You want other people to be informed and awake. You want other people to be enlightened. You want other people to be stronger and healthier. Do that. Because if we all did that, think about how much healthier and stronger our society would be. If you want to change the world, start locally. Start with the people that are right in front of you. And then through them and through what they take away from their engagement with you, then they will affect other people. They will influence and enlighten other people. And it spreads like a blossom. So think about your family and what constitutes family to you and why. Think about friendship and what constitutes friendship to you. What constitutes brotherhood, sisterhood, tribe, clan, team, whatever it might be? And what are you doing to nurture and cultivate that in your own life, if that's what you want? And if it's not, then don't complain when you're isolated and you're alone. Enjoy it. You asked for it. You got what you wanted. But for me, at the end of the day, thinking about what could possibly happen the next four years or beyond that, the next 10 years into 2030. Because now Bill Gates, of course, is saying that this is all going to be seven to 10 years, which I'm sure is just a pure coincidence that lines up exactly with the timeline for Agenda 2030, which he's a part of. Whatever comes in the next six months or the next four years or the next 10 years, who can you run to for help? Who's the, who's the prepper in, in your neighborhood? Who's got all the guns and all the food rations and the generator and everything else? Who's that person? Is that you? Is it somebody else? How can you show up for other people so that when shit hits the fan, things go sideways, however that happens, you can show up for people. You can be there. You can be safe harbor. You can be a mash unit. You can be a good counselor. You can just be a friend. You know, one of the best things about owning my own mats now, well, two sets of mats, one at home and one at my, in my church, is that it doesn't matter if the governor locks down my state. I've got mats. I'll just open my church and my house and we'll just roll here. But that's kind of the point. <laughs> I had to create that for myself. And then I don't have to rely on my governor or anybody else to give me permission to do anything. I don't have to rely on my coach even. 
to unlock the gym and let me in so I can train. And just say, hey, man, everybody, show up at my place. I got mats. And if that's what we need to do, that's what we need to do. My wife and I grew up in broken homes. We both grew up abused. So to break that cycle, we created the home that we always wanted when we were kids, a home that's safe, a home that's filled with love and laughing and screaming, a place that you want to be, and a place that other kids feel safe, and they want to be too. Same thing with my church, same thing with my community. That's what I drive at. That's what I strive for. A place where everybody is accepted. Everybody's welcomed. I don't care what skin color you are. That's stupid. (laughs) To judge people based on skin color, that's just dumb. I don't care what your body type is. I don't care what your background is. I don't care who you voted for. Any of that. I don't care what your philosophy is even. I don't even care what you believe. We can talk about that once we gain each other's trust and confidence. But let's just start with basic human interpersonal relationships so that when somebody needs help, you can show up for them. When someone needs to be protected and defended, you're ready. When someone needs to be taught, you're there to tutor them or mentor them. To be that person, to recognize, okay, here's my skills and abilities. Here's my gifts. Now, how can I use these to better other people's lives? And if they don't want you to, cool. That's their choice. You just offer the gifts to somebody else. Eventually, someone will open the gifts. You teach them how to cook. You can teach them how to lock a kimura. You can teach them how to speak in public. You can teach them how to ride a bike. You can teach them anything. But those shared experiences, those shared struggles, struggling together towards a common goal, there's nothing quite like it. It's a really powerful drug. It's a good drug. So maybe nowadays we need to be much more deliberate about how we define family and friendship and tribe and brotherhood. Not be so flippant about it. Not treat it like it's something we're entitled to, but instead take it serious and recognize that our society is disintegrating. The Republic right now is on the edge of a constitutional crisis, and I don't know what's going to happen. So what do we do locally? What do we do in our own homes to strengthen ourselves, to reinforce the perimeter, to prepare for whatever attack comes? Make our homes forward operating bases, fire bases, in hostile territory, so that when people need to run and they need cover, they need safety, they can come through our gates and know that they'll be protected, they'll be safe. I think that's all any of us want, to feel safe, to feel like we belong to something, to feel like our life means something and that we're important to somebody. And I don't see anything wrong with that. That's what we were made for, each other. And in relation to each other, We get those things. So don't lose hope. If you've struggled with this stuff, you're not alone. It's not you. (laughs) And just recognize that maybe it's just a matter of you have a higher standard for family and friendship than others around you. Or that you just need more. You demand more. You want more out of life. Nothing wrong with that. Far too many people settle for good enough. They don't want to grow They don't want to improve. They don't want to surround themselves with the kinds of people that motivate and encourage and inspire them. They just want to get along and go along. 
Well, for those of us who don't want to get along and go along, but want to improve and grow and be enriched, we got to do, we got to do, we got to work. We got to do the work ourselves. We got to stand up. We got to be the ones because no one else is going to do it for us. So stay strong. Do what you need to do to stay strong. Prioritize, execute on it. And I think you'll be impressed and delighted with the consequences, with the results. All right, that's all I got for today. Thanks for listening. Remember, I got merch. I got about 40 t-shirts left. Got to sell them. (laughs) Got stickers left. Um, You can support me financially and this and the gym through the support button on Anchor FM at the Warrior Priest Podcast. Just click it. A dollar, ten dollars, whatever you can afford. It really helps a lot, especially nowadays. And uh, yeah, just share the podcast with others, you know, spread the word. We're up to around 230, 240 uh, downloads per episode now within like three or four days of me putting them up. So that's amazing. So thank you again. And like I said, let's shoot for a thousand by this time next year, a thousand downloads per podcast. That'd be cool. Just, you know, for an arbitrary goal. Why not? (laughs) But thank you for listening. Thanks for all the positive feedback. Thanks for all the text messages that I get from you guys. It's truly appreciated. And I truly appreciate the encouragement. And I hope this is an encouragement to you. And I hope it inspires you to keep going forward and move through whatever you're going through right now. All right. Peace.